Brooklyn, New York, I'm Adam Teeter, and this is a Vine Pair Podcast Conversation. We're bringing you these conversations between our regularly scheduled podcast episodes in order to give you a better picture of how the COVID-19 virus is impacting all parts of the alcohol beverage business, as well as help provide a bit of hope and a path forward. Today, I'm talking to Francesco Zonin, Executive Vice President of Zonin 1821. Francesco, thank you so much for, for joining me, especially from Italy, our first Italian guest. Oh, so happy and honor. Thank you, Adam. So before we jump into how everything's going there, uh, especially because you know, there's been a lot of talk in the U.S. about how Italy is about a month ahead, so there's a lot of things we can look to, and I want to get into that. Um, I'd love to sort of just get an overview from you about what Zonin 1821 is. I think a lot of our listeners will probably be familiar with Zonin Prosecco because it, it carries your family's name, but they may not know all of the other, you know, wines that you produce um, and all the other places that you produce wine around the world? Sure. Well, uh, first of all, as you mentioned, it's, it's my last name and uh, the name of the company is Zonin. So it's almost, we're turning 200 years in the next year and it's still a family-owned company. Uh, what happened in the last uh, 50 years is that we moved from uh, our original um, village of Gambellara, basically in the Venetian area. And in the 70s, uh, my my father started to uh, have this idea of putting together the best terroir of Italy under uh, one family. So in the 70s, instead of expanding the, um, the family vineyard in uh, the Venetian area, we bought what we felt was a very good uh, land to grow grapes in, uh, first of all, in Friuli, so in the northeast of Italy, then Tuscany and Piedmont and Lombardy, uh, Sicily. Uh, Puglia, and uh, now we have uh, 10 different wineries in uh, in Italy. And then in the 1976, we had even a crazier idea of, uh, of creating, funding the, a new winery in uh, Virginia, wine country. And lately, in the last uh, 10 years, um, we also developed a network of uh, import company in uh, in UK, US, and China, and the latest is uh, a venture in uh, Chile called uh, Dos Almas. So basically, it's still a family-owned company, uh, turning 200 years, that counts of uh, 12 different wineries in uh, um, three different countries, three distribution companies. Uh, we do a little less than uh, 3 million cases and for 200 million euros turnaround. Uh, what if you were saying about the name Prosecco is true. The other is that every winery is running independently. So uh, we carry different brands in our portfolio, like Castello di Albola or Cabolani or uh, St. Barbara's Vineyards. So with with this many wineries, and especially with so many of the wineries being based in Italy, how are you doing right now? What Can you give us an idea of sort of what's happening right now and also take us back a few months to what happened in the beginning and how the company has sort of had to adapt and what you're thinking about. Yeah. So we do 85% of our business is outside of Italy. Okay. So, and we're pretty strong in, um, in Asia, even though North America and the U S is number, our number one market. So we basically came across the whole um, COVID uh, since the beginning because China shut down and uh, our company in China shut down. Then we saw all the changing in uh, in uh, in Japan. Uh, so basically, we follow what happened to around the world. And uh, you know, it's 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 hard to answer because it affects the, um, 
different businesses. So mm-hmm. part of our portfolio, especially uh, high-end estates that we own, are basically distributed mainly on-premise around the world. So that's, uh, that's still an issue. It's still a big issue because we it's not only a matter of when restaurant will reopen, is how they will reopen and how uh, people and like consumer will go back to enjoy a beautiful evening in a in a restaurant. On the other side, uh, part of a portfolio that does especially well off premise, we've seen a great growth. Even in Italy, where you know restaurant now has been shut down for almost two months, um, but at a retail level, the whole retail business in Italy is up fifteen percent average. Okay. And on our on our side, on uh, so basically supermarket chains because that's what's uh, open in uh, in Italy right now. We're up. 30, 35%. So what we see is people are, wine consumption has not changed. So we don't see a decrease in wine consumption. Uh, we see a tremendous change on the portfolio and what people drink. And that um, somehow will affect the business. Probably not the whole wine business in Italy, but uh, you know every single winery will have to face different challenges because some wineries are very much focused on uh, high-end uh, restaurant business, and some other are more focused on uh, on uh, retail change. So, and the same for every for food. I have friends that you know have been working with uh, supplying many restaurants that are having lots of trouble, and some other that are have very good relationship with with the retail chain, and they're having probably the best year ever. Right. So I have a question that brings up um, something that I've been thinking about a lot. You mentioned this that there's been a lot of wineries that you know focused a lot on on premise, which is especially with fine wine, very normal prior to COVID nineteen, right? Uh, our world prior to COVID nineteen made a lot of sense for high end wines to really focus a lot on on premise, where the sommeliers were who could hand sell these more expensive wines and you know convince you as a consumer to give them a try. But then those wines are the ones that are really suffering now. Do you think because of this, we'll see a reevaluation by those producers, yourself potentially included with some of your high-end wines, but for especially, you know, some of these producers that only focus on on-premise to start paying more attention to off-premise retail sales, to, to the wine shops, thinking about trying to put some of these wines into places where consumers can buy them and bring them home? Interesting. Uh, the, the, the problem is, not the problem, the limit is even once you put a high-end wine on a shelf, it doesn't mean it's going to sell because the problem is how the retailer is going to handle your product. The, the reason why so many high-end wines work on a, on a restaurant business, it's because they need a lot of, they need a storytelling. They need an explanation, especially for the amount of money they're paying, you're paying for it, for that bottle. That's why restaurateur and, and especially store are so uh, fundamental for, for that segment of the, of the business, and unless you have a lot of people on the floor in a, on a in a retail store, it's it's hard to provide the same uh, the same service. For sure, it will change the um, the approach to retail business and retail chains because um, somehow, whether you want it or not, uh, retail store and chains will become another place where people will go. Shopping even for uh, for for expensive products, and but 
it's it's going to be very hard to to change the fact that sommelier and restaurateur are so fundamental, especially for if you're if you're managing a, a, a brand new winery or brand, the brand will still be be built on the on the on premise, and you know the, the other uh, the other opportunity would be online and direct sales, because that's a, another possibility where together with your product you can tell your story even directly. Right. Uh, the problem is how accustomed people are to buy online. So if I look at the international markets around the world, U.S. is a it's it's very interesting from this point of view. Um, same for U.K. for example, but Italy, it's People are not accustomed, maybe because basically every 10, 10 meters, every 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 minute you walk around any any city in Italy, you would find a place that sells you a bottle of wine, either a bar or you know a butcher store or anything that uh, has a license to to sell wine. So I think we'll see we'll see a different approach on the on uh, online and how. People will react to it. It's going to be very interesting to to look at that. Interesting. So, I mean, have have you started to think with your team now about what it might look like for you to tell stories online? Have you have you started to strategize for six months down the road, a year down the road, or are are you really focused right now on just you know responding day by day to what's happening currently? Like, how much have you had a, a chance to plan ahead? Yeah, so we're doing both uh, because it still it depends on uh, on the portfolio, on the, the type of wine, and on the market you're talking about. So, for a Barbersville is a it's a it's a good example. Barbersville Vineyard is our winery in uh, Virginia, where we host probably fifty thousand people every year, and where we do a lot of business on premise in uh, in on the east coast of the United States, and we also do a good business with uh, off-premise. So since we had to shut down the hospitality facility, the, the inn, the, the, the restaurant, and all our basically on-premise customers are, are shut down, we had to put all our efforts and investment on uh, direct sales. And so it works. I would say it works. It's not, we're not doing the same numbers, but we're doing a, mm-hmm. a, a very, very interesting numbers on um, online. We're not, um, you know, we're still experimenting, see how people react because it's interesting. It's going to be interesting to understand what people look for when we shop online because, you know, we, we haven't been used to this much surplus of, of, of wine online where everybody's trying to find a solution to the off-premise, to the on-premise uh, business so I don't think that telling a story and putting your wine on a website will be enough right. to sell your wine. It's like putting your wine on a wine list. You know, you, you, you walk into a high-end restaurant with 600 wines in the wine list. Uh, you know, before someone picks your wine, <laughs> it could take, I don't know, a couple of years. So it's the same thing online. The fact that your wine is online. Your wine is available online. The fact that you have um, amazing um, companies like Wine.com carrying your wines, it doesn't mean that you're going to sell it. If your wine is on the shelf, it doesn't mean it's going to sell. And if your wine is on the on a wine list, it doesn't mean it's going to sell. So 
I think what's going to happen is companies will focus more into what it really means being online and how does what what it means to sell online directly to consumer because consumer they always look for something very specific not only wine but uh, you know an offer in everything yeah yeah so and i don't think we're doing that at least in my in my, my company but this year around we're not doing enough i think we're just scratching the the surface here or, or we just scratch the surface and from one point of view it you know it's a limit but on the average since i'm a born optimistic means that we have so much to do and, and I'm, I'm i'm really thrilled so i think we're gonna see in the next few months because then depends on, on, on the market you know italy has been hit very hard so i don't know when people would go back to enjoy a dinner in a restaurant right might take two months or four or six or it could be christmas so and you know, a lot of the production, especially in the region where I live, which is the Venetian region, is white wine. So a lot of companies now, a lot of wineries are are still carrying the 2019 vintage and they haven't sold a single bottle. And in the next couple of months, nothing is going to change. So we're going to face the 2020 vintage with uh, a lot of wineries that still have uh, the warehouse packed with 19 vintage so this is the year where probably we need to change not, not change the rules but we need we i mean producer we need to change the approach not completely but we have to work on in a, a way for the shorter meaning from here to christmas and and keep trying to understand how to redesign your business for the long term after COVID. right i think what you're saying makes a lot of sense in terms of figuring out how to tell your story, figuring out how you exist online. We've seen, you know, just here at VinePair specifically, you know, so many people coming to to read about different producers or to try to to get recommendations or things like that, which I mean, we've always had people obviously come to get recommendations from from the publication, but the amount that then we see are immediately going from there via a link to go buy it is very high. Because, yeah, they're willing to potentially do it if, if there's been a third party that recommends it and then make the purchase somewhere. Because you're right, they're, they're not just going to go to one of those retailers and just look blankly at a list of thousands upon thousands of bottles, especially at a high price point, and just buy them because they happen to be online. They need something else that convinced them to buy it first. You know, if you have, if you have a problem, if you, even if you go to a store now and you look for a, an expensive wine, you know, you you don't you don't feel even not say safe, but you know, spending time in front of a person that explains you something, you know, uh, mm -hmm. it's not exactly uh, what you're supposed to do during uh, COVID. So, if you're avoiding contact for your safety, then it's it's even harder to get information because you know, basically, we trust people. At least sommelier or or person who walk in a walk the floor in a in a store. That's usually who you ask for for help. But now you're you know. Yep. I do grocery because I love to cook and I do my own I do my own grocery. And what I notice in in supermarkets right now, especially in uh, well at least in Italy where I live, it's that you don't hear any sound around supermarkets. So you walk in, you do your grocery. You try to manage your own grocery and try to buy the best you can, and then you pay and you go home. 
So even getting information or, you know, you see an ingredient in a supermarket and, and you want to ask how to use it at best for your recipe, no one is talking, no one is asking. So even right now, if you know, even if you're a gourmet and you bought the best Wagyu beef 5A and you want to cook it at home and open a great bottle of wine, who do you ask? Right. Uh, people are trying to avoid that. So they ask you, they ask people, you know, or uh, I don't know. That's exactly what we're supposed to think about. It's how do you make your suggestion or our suggestion of, of, about our wines reliable to consumers? Because it's, you know, it's it, writing on your website that your wine is fantastic with red meat. I don't think it helps. No. I don't think it helps. You need to tell it a totally different. But even myself, you know, I, I drink at home. I don't only drink my, my wines. I also drink other wines. And usually are wines produced by people I know. Maybe not even personally, but I know what they represent. I know what they think. I know their approach. I know a few things about that that make me comfortable. And especially comfortable on, on paying that, that money and and believe it or not, when I open a bottle of wine, of which I know many things about the wine itself or the producer, I'm happier. Yeah. I'm happier. So that's how, that's why it's so important that we need to open up even more. The wine business has been, wine producer has been for years, especially in the 90s, almost avoiding consumers. You know, it's like, this is my wine. Either you understand it or, or it's your problem. I don't want to give you any information. You have to come and visit me. And if you come and visit me, well, in Italy, in the 90s, wineries were closed to public. Mm -hmm. Now, wineries are opening up. Now, everybody's in social media. But we're still uh, promoting with the same information we're given 10, 15 years ago. And people are not, I don't think we're only looking for, for technical shit. People want to know, what do you do when you wake up? Right. You know, and what makes your wine so special, which is, of course, terroir, the soil, it's the clone, it's the barrel you use. But it's not only that, it's, it's the approach you have, it's, it's how much heart you put in your wine. And, and unless you're able to, to make it clear how much passion you put into a bottle of wine, then it's, it's hard for the consumer to, to fall in love because usually consumers fall in love with the wine through someone else either the producer, sommelier, or someone else. So now it's, if we need to socially stay apart for health reason, then we need to find a way to, to get that piece of information, which is very important to, to people out there. Right. So before, we, before I let you go, speaking about staying apart, but you are, you know, as you said, you have many wineries across Italy. We're in, you know, we're, we're, we're coming into spring we're starting to, you know, think about the next vintage um, as a prosecco producer as well. You're obviously uh, still bottling prosecco for the market. How how are you adapting on the production side? Um, what do you think could be different, and what do you think could be different this year from the growing side? Well, basically, we're following the instruction of uh, our government. So we everybody who is in the possibility is uh, smart working from home. Uh, well, the marketing department and 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 whoever can work from uh, from home, and then in terms of operation of a winery, we have a um, 
protocol. So basically we take temperatures uh, and we keep everybody at least at uh, four meters uh, from, uh, from each other. We wear masks and gloves and, uh, and everything else. We have uh, 200 employees here in, uh, in, uh, in Veneto and another 500 around Italy and the US. So, so far we are, we're all safe. We have no um, COVID cases in our uh, in our company. So basically, the company is running. I'll, I'm not saying as usual, but the output is pretty much the same. So from a production point of view, it all works out. And from a sales and marketing, it it, it works. The only thing that doesn't work is uh, it's everything we set up for the on premise. So our all the distributed regional managers on premise are 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 basically home. Right, and we have full salary, of course, but waiting for uh, new instruction, and and we're now trying to get uh, as many as new ideas possible to react once the on-premise will uh, will open. Uh, same thing in Chile, same thing in uh, in US. As I told you, winery is operating. We just planted uh, uh, three weeks ago the last uh, new plot of, of vineyards, and we're bottling. Uh, we're just not hosting people at the winery and uh, and the inn and the restaurant is uh, is shut down. Right. Well, Francesco, this has been a really interesting conversation. I've really appreciated your perspective across the board um, in terms of how you're thinking about how this virus is going to impact the industry um, and how your company is adapting. So I really appreciate you taking the time. Is there anything that you wanted to speak about that I did not ask about? Uh, well, we can... Could speak for an hour, half an hour, or, or two days. But uh, I know. <laughs> no, it's it's um, it's fine. Just one thing: once this is over, uh, don't forget to come to Italy. Oh, I won't. Uh, you and everybody else who is listening or is uh, connected went there because it's uh, it's with past this. You know, it's it's probably the first uh, real difficult time for our generation and. My grandmother kept telling me about uh, World War II, and that was a, a big deal. And I I understand now how my grandmother was affected by such a um, incredible and, and terrible thing that uh, that happened. And I just have amazing memories of my grandmother and how what an amazing person she was. So hopefully, all this bad and craziness. Hopefully, I really hope. At least would bring uh, a better, better people and better perception of, of who we are and what we should do in in this world. So uh, you know, not all the bad come from uh, for for nothing. So hopefully we'll learn this uh, this lesson and then you know life goes on. And I think we're I don't know how you can handle this, but we're doing a a, a good job and. You know, if I look at Australia or Japan, things are coming back or, or, mm-hmm. or China in Italy. Now we're thinking about in a couple of weeks to reopen a few things. Hairdresser, what apparently is a big deal here in Italy, will reopen <laughs> on May 25th officially. So I think once that's done, it means that we'll feel more and more confidence. So it's a matter of another uh, month or two and then we'll you know, I think we'll react the same way we reacted to many different things. And uh, I think we're going to celebrate a beautiful Christmas this year. For sure. Well, Francesco, thank you so much again for taking the time to speak with me. Uh, I really appreciate it. Thank you, Adam. Always a pleasure. And thanks for being there. 
Thanks so much for listening to the Vine Pair Podcast. If you enjoy listening to us every week, please leave us a review or rating on iTunes, Stitcher, Spotify, or wherever it is that you get your podcasts. It really helps everyone else discover the show. Now for the credits. Vine Pair is produced and hosted by Zach Jabal, Eric Ducey, and me, Adam Teeter. Our engineer is Nick Patry and Keith Beavers. I'd also like to give a special shout out to my Vine Pair co-founder, Josh Mallon, and the rest of the Vine Pair team for their support. Thanks so much for listening, and we'll see you again right here next week.